You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. Freya, we have arrived finally. I feel like there's been so much back and forth with our beautiful technology that we're just so grateful to have because we wouldn't be able to have this conversation without it. But also, can you please work? <laughs> um, today on the show, we've got Freya Cullet, who I've been following for years. Like I've been following you before you got married <laughs> or even met your husband and it's Matthew, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And um, way back when you just had that potent voice about like feminism and women and birthing and rights and modern feminism and political things that were going on and I was like oh my god this person is speaking to me and using the words that I will never have Mm -hmm. to explain how I feel about certain topics and then you started talking about GNM and I was like oh this is so interesting and so along with you and Melissa, who we recently spoke to, really sparked interest in GNM. And I think for anyone who knows, has kind of had their, do- their toes dipped in the wellness sphere long enough, things don't really make sense from the standpoint of, I guess, things like deficiencies or, you know, virus transmission or germs or even some of the bigger things, they just don't really make a whole lot of sense. So when GNM entered the chat, it kind of started making sense. Mm-hmm. So you've been talking about GNM stories and sharing them on your podcast, and some of them are incredible. And I actually remember listening to Matthew's um, episode where he talked about having the eczema behind his ear for like his entire life. And you guys went on this mission to find out (laughs) what was going on. And it was so simple. And I was like, surely not. Like, surely it is not that simple. And so eventually, Mm -hmm. like, this eczema thing that was behind his ear for his entire life just, poof, magically disappeared after you guys realised what it was. So, um, so cool. And if anyone wants to hear what I'm talking about, they should go back and listen. (laughs) But anyway, welcome, Freya. It's going to be so cool to talk to you today. Well, thank you for that introduction. I was actually laughing with Matthew earlier today because I was like, they're totally, like, I really hope they don't ask me what I do because I have no idea (laughs) how to explain it. So I'm glad, I'm glad that you gave that introduction so I don't have to do it. And um, yeah, but, but that, that's a big part of my story, right? Is like, I have been in the alternative health world. I think, I think I became a vegetarian when I was like 14 or something. So it was a long time and, um, you know, had chronic issues, specifically I had chronic pain for like over a decade, um, which I'm really grateful for at this point, because it just led me further and further. And I just had to keep asking questions. Um, and yeah, like I did everything. I ate organic food. I became a farmer. I, you know, I only wear organic clothes and I sleep on organic bedding and I turn my internet off at night and I like wear barefoot shoes and like self-massage every day, like doing everything and still having symptoms and like getting to the point of like, I can't like optimize (laughs) for health anymore than I currently am. And yet these things aren't shifting and like, what the fuck is wrong? Um, And I feel like 
now. And I kind of like lived that not silently, but it's a little bit like there almost is like some shame. I, I talk about this with a lot of people now of like, what's wrong with me? Like I'm doing everything. And all these people on the internet with the big Instagram pages, they seem to be like glowing and healthy and have no issues. And, and here I am like doing my best and still having issues. And, um, and now like, I know why, you know, um, let's go into that. The five laws. Let's yeah. go into how you, cause obviously this was like massive catalyst for walking, like kind of really discovering this because you're hungry for trying to understand what the heck was going on with your body. So yeah. you obviously found J&M and how did that, because I know you've said it so many times, like you just cannot believe that you're just pain free now after spending yeah. so much of your existence in, in chronic pain. So I'm so interested mm-hmm. to hear what happened. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I found J&M through Melissa, like so many of us, and that was right at the beginning of COVID and, um, and it made total sense to me. It, like, it, I think resonated on a deep level and I had absolutely no no idea how the fuck to like apply it in my life like how to actually use it to get better and you know it's it's a really like dense world to try and step in at the beginning because there's a lot to understand and there's a lot that you can easily misunderstand (laughs) and even when you you know understand it it's a whole other thing to then be able to apply it and understand the whole kind of process of of resolution so I had known about it for two years and you know could explain it to people like I I I did get it but um I didn't understand how to resolve issues and also you know there's a way where it hadn't really even occurred to me because I specifically had chronic pain like kind of back shoulder pain and you know just so deep in like physical symptom must be the result of a physical cause that it was like it took me two years of like knowing GNM to be like I wonder if my chronic pain is actually the result of a special biological program that has become chronic in what we call the hang healing in Germany medicine um and it's it's quite the, quite a long story, but you know, kind of a bunch of serendipitous things all occurred at the same time, and I just had this huge aha moment, and could remember precisely the moment that caused you know years of chronic pain. It was when I was like thirteen years old, and this boy that I was in love with, and you know, so we we start kind of weaving in the language of the five biological laws. So the first law it's called the iron rule of cancer, which is like very jargony and kind of confusing, but really I just translate that very simply to shock first, symptom second. So there is this shock and it means something so particular. And this, you know, there's a lot to like wrap your head around in GNM. And so this, this shock, this thing that happens, you know, it's, it's surprising. So it catches you uh, on the wrong foot, catches you off guard. It's also very specific. So it's not generalized. And I think a lot of people (laughs) kind of get lost here of like, oh, well, I know like the symptom came on when my boyfriend broke up with me or my kids left home or whatever. But it's, it's like, literally, it's a split second. It's such a specific moment in time. And then the third criteria, um, to me, I understand it as, as like the emotion went unsuppressed. 
you you felt emotionally isolated, uh, the real like that um, kind of subconscious impulse, that immediate feeling went unfelt, unexpressed. And so this kind of lays the perfect storm for uh, this biological adaptation. So for me, what happened when I was 13 is that I was in love with this boy and there was a party and I totally, you know, went to the party like, oh, we're going to hook up at the party. It's going to be amazing, you know? And then I get there and find out that he's like making out with some other girl. So, right, this is a very specific moment. Like there was a moment where I'm walking up to the party and everything's going to be amazing. And then there's like a flash second where someone tells me, oh no, he's in the bushes over there. Right. So particular moment in time. And then um, the emotion went totally unexpressed because I didn't tell anybody because I was like so embarrassed. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to be caught. I didn't want to be that girl, you know. Um, and and it yeah, it caught me totally off guard. And so for me, this was a self-devaluation complex. So there's multiple conflicts that can affect the muscle. Well, there's two specific. So there's a self-devaluation complex. So, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm stupid. I'm smart. I'm a bad wife. I'm a bad partner. I'm not beautiful enough, whatever. And it can also be a motor conflict, which is I feel stuck. I feel frozen. Um, and and they, they affect two different parts of the muscle. But for me, this was a self-devaluation conflict. Specifically, the most acute pain was behind my right shoulder blade. And so the when it comes to these conflicts that affect the muscles, you know, the whole body is mapped out of kind of like, what is the particular emotional nuance of each, you know, muscle group bone. And this behind the shoulder blade is stab in the back. Okay. It's betrayal. So it's some kind of self-devaluation in relation to betrayal. So I felt betrayed. I felt stabbed in the back. Now there's many different ways I could have interpreted that experience. I could have been angry at him. I could have felt separated from him. Uh, but the way I perceived it, because I'm really sort of oriented to self-devaluation, that's often my immediate impulse when something challenging happens was I'm not good enough. You know, like this happened because I'm, you know, not beautiful enough. I'm not like as good as this other woman, whatever. So it, initi it triggered this um, self-devaluation adaptation in the muscles behind my shoulder blade, which I experienced for like a decade is this like excruciating ripping pain. And yeah, when I had all these things come back to me and that's just like, this is like one piece of what's quite a big story around. Cause I had many, it wasn't just one conflict. There was like multiple things that were kind of all coalescing into it's kind of like body wide chronic pain. But that was like the biggest initial first aha moment. And when I connected all those pieces, because that conflict's no longer relevant for me, it's no longer alive. I was like, I was 13. I don't care, <laughs> right? That he hooked up with this other girl when I was 13. It just, when I connected those dots consciously, the whole thing dropped. And um, so that was my first experience of like, of really feeling in my body, oh, that's what a conflict shock feels like. Oh, that's what a resolution feels like. And that was about, that was just over a year ago. And since then, I don't know, I've probably clocked like 30 or 40 <laughs> different, you know, special biological programs from, you know, from, from very small things. Like I, you know, every single cough, every pimple, uh, 
you know, any symptom I have, a stomachache, like I am <laughs> fine. I have to find the thing um, to, to like, you know, behavioral, psychological adaptations. And so anyways, I've, I kind of got like this little bit obsessive and I've got, like gone in so deep since that moment because I was just like, holy shit. I'm, I'm like, so interested to know, thing. like when you say you've resolved it and like you've just explained, okay, so I've put consciously, I've gone back there yeah. and I've like, oh, I had an aha moment. Is the aha moment and the putting the dots together and being like, I think it's that, is that all it takes for a resolution? It's so particular to each person. So I, to me, like the biggest determining factors are, well, one, you have to touch the right thing (laughs) and, and that, um, doesn't, always happen and often people are not specific as enough specific enough as I kind of alluded to they get like oh I know that it was in relation to this person or around this time but you know we're talking I'm always walking people like you were fine up until what moment you know what exactly did he say it was the look it was the moment you got this text message like what really caught you within the whole context of the breakup let's say um but more than anything so there's kind of like two ways it goes. One is like you you find the conflict and you have the awareness moment and it's just like sparkly miracle, like everything drops away in that moment. Um, or it's this more kind of like chunking away at it. And to me, what I have seen as the difference is if the conflict is no longer relevant to you, like if that cannot happen again, you don't care about it, you can laugh about it, it's over. Like it's just dead in the water. Then... Uh, everything just lets go. That book closes, it's put back on the shelf. Like you don't need that special biological program anymore. But, you know, a lot of our conflicts are still alive for us. Like the thing that happened three years ago, we still feel those feelings. Like it's still there and it takes more um, attention to to work and unravel it um, and become a different person. You know, like between the time I was 13 and 25, you know, I had become a different person. And so I could no longer have that conflict anymore. But there are conflicts that I have that like, I know the conflict shock. I know the initial resolution. And I still, what we call step on the track in German new medicine. Um, you know, an, an example, like I have a, a wrist on the, so it's the same special biological program of a self-devaluation, but it's localized to my wrist. And if it almost feels like like a bone's out of place. Like it's very painful, crunchy, weird pain. And it's very silly. Maybe some people can um, kind of empathize with it, but it's a self-evaluation around um, perceiving other people's judgment of me being on my phone. So if I'm ever like scrolling on my phone in front of other people and I go like, oh my God, they're totally think that I'm just like a brainwashed young person who's addicted to their phone, you know, I start like I, I step on the track and I can trigger this wrist pain. So like, I, I know the original conflict. I know the first time it resolved, which initiated the pain. And I know very consciously what the track is. Cause I see it. I know I step on it all the time. <laughs> well, all the time, you know, what, maybe once a week right now. And, but I'm still somebody who can feel ashamed about being seen scrolling on their phone in public. So that conflict is still alive for me. I can still re-trigger it does that make sense like yeah and it's really interesting that you brought this up is this your right wrist it's my right wrist well I have this this as well like I have this weird 
thing and I'm like, oh my God, did I just inherit carpal tunnel yesterday? And it's so intense today. I don't know what's going on. And then like the next uh-huh. day will just be completely gone. I'm like back to lifting heavy or back to picking up my kids or back to like, sorry, whatever yeah. it is. And it's so weird. But since I've known about DNM, I'm always thinking about like what has just happened or what have I experienced because that's the only thing that makes sense. Like for this intense, yeah. sharp pain in my wrist, like right in the like where that little bone is and then for it to just be like gone the next day or sometimes it can be within hours that like to me nothing else is explained and these were just questions that I was like blind to previously but now it's like well why does pain come when it comes and goes when it goes and why is it your right wrist and not your left and why does somebody get a rash on their face or a rash on their belly and why does some person get you know, breast cancer in the left breast or the right breast? Or why does one person get liver cancer? Another gets ovarian cancer. Like why do we all express different symptoms with different intensities at different points in time? Like these other kind of paradigms, like, oh, it's the toxins or it's the, um, you know, malnourishment or whatever. It doesn't explain each individual's unique expression of disease and like the immense specificity of it and GNM with just like this beautiful uh, crystalline map, like it it really explains in such a coherent way why we all have different symptoms Mm -hmm. and why they come and go and why sometimes they're more intense than others. And it's really like, I can't express just how remarkable it is to, to have this relationship now with my symptoms where like, I know, like I know every single, I'll give a, like another, just like, this is a really such a simple example. Two nights ago, I'm at my mother-in-law's spending the night. And in the middle of the night, the fire alarm beeps. And it, I think the battery ran out or something. And so it made like a noise, but it happened to be in the middle of the night. And Matthew gets up to go and check on it. And I immediately just like the flashlight is like, oh, does it, can I smell anything? Like, should I be, I, I didn't really know what it was. I'm like, is it the carbon monoxide alarm? Like, can I smell smoke? Is the, is the, should we open the window more? I just have this flash kind of thought about is the air, like, can I smell something? And then, you know, him and his mom figure out it's just the fire alarm. That's a low battery. And we go back to bed. And when Matthew comes back into the bed, we turn off the lights, go back to sleep. All of a sudden I'm like, I can barely breathe out of my nose. Like I'm just so stuffed up. And Matthew's like, what the heck? Like, why are you sounding like that? And it took me like a minute to be like, I know what it was because so the nose, the nose sinuses, we're looking at sort of two different tonalities of conflict. So one is a stink conflict. Um, This is like, uh, you know, a situation that just like sucks. You just like can't believe it's happening. It's shitty. It's annoying. Um, So that's a stink conflict. And then it can also be um, a scent conflict. So I smell danger right? Like you're trying to smell the danger in the air or you can't smell your mother, for example, you know, smell is such a important biological communication. So in this case, when the alarm went off, I became conflict active with, do I, is there danger? Like, do I need to sniff out the danger in the air, the, the smell? Like, can I, is there smoke? Is there carbon monoxide or something like this? So I became a conflict active. Matthew came back to bed. Nothing was wrong. Resolution. And then I, um, you know, had this symptom of the really stuffy nose until I I could see the whole picture and then it all just went away in like two minutes because mm. I, I had conscious awareness of it. Um, 
And so that's a really simple example. And it seems silly and it seems like, well, you know, why does it really matter? But it's, it's like profound to know what every single symptom you have is like, that is, Mm. it's, it's mind blowing. Like the amount of just safety and calmness that you feel after having that kind of, um, like adeptness with the five biological laws is it also makes yeah. incredible yeah. sense when you really zoom out and just look at us as complex human beings who we are not that much different to any other animal that have you know constant threats in nature that they need to protect themselves from and they animals do a fantastic job of doing that but because mm-hmm. we're obviously incredibly dissociated and we're human beings living this really weird modern world we're often closed off to that and so yeah. If we were open to the idea that maybe these things are just innate like little alarm systems or the inner knowing of Mm -hmm. the threats or what's to be real and what's not so big of a threat kind of also makes a lot of sense. It would be great actually because I am a self-proclaimed GNM rookie (laughs) and um, (laughs) it would be really cool if we could go into the five biological laws which you were just mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. So – I'm guessing Melissa, like, you know, told the story about Dr. Homer when you guys, is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I won't repeat that. So, if you haven't you know, listened, all of this, um, just to our <laughs> listeners, if you haven't heard that one yet, just scoot back. Go back. Melissa, <laughs> start again. She, she goes into all of this and Freya, you can go on from the end of that story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, Dr. Homer, obviously this, the brilliant man who like, gifted us this this whole framework and one thing I want to say up front which I think is confusing for people and and takes time to like really for this to sink like German new medicine and the five biological laws are not is not another modality right this is it's very different from a modality this is an like he called them biological laws for a reason so um, the first biological law, I think I already touched on a little bit, this iron rule of cancer. Um, and it's called the iron rule of cancer. He originally, when he you know, first kind of publicly shared this law, my understanding is he believed it only applied to cancer. And then he later, because he originally was studying cancer, um, and then later discovered like, no, <laughs> even you know, a simple cold, a basic rash, acne, you know, diarrhea, like all anything. No, this is, it's all, you know, these special biological programs. So um, I already kind of explained that, you know, the first biological law, so something happens and then there is an intelligent adaptation by the body, this initiation of a special biological program. Um, and which special biological program is initiated is dependent on the emotional, you know, subconscious experience of the person who had the shock. And so these shocks, again, these are moments, they're very specific, very acute moments in time. There's this element of surprise of being caught off guard and um, this feeling of like emotional isolation in the moment, the, the emotion went suppressed. And so you could be in a room full of people, right? You could even be there with your best friend and you could still have that sensation of like, this is too, like, no one's going to understand this, <laughs> you know? Um, or like, I can't share this. I can't, like, th- I can't feel this. I can't even just like acknowledge this to myself because it's in opposition to my identity or how I wish I had responded um, in the moment. 
Um, and so we have this shock and um, this triggers an adaptation at three levels synchronously. So the tissue level adaptation, um, the brain level adaptation of the Hummer focus in the brain. So this is why Dr. Hummer and you know someone who's, who's trained in studying brain scans from a German new medicine perspective um, can, can look at a brain scan and tell you your entire health history, like every symptom you've ever had, they can tell you, you know, what symptoms you have currently, which ones you would have in the future if you were to resolve your currently, you know, conflict active symptoms. Um, so you have the brain level adaptation and then the psyche level adaptation of like rumination, fixation, worry, obsession on the, the content of the conflict. Um, and so this you know, this is probably the, the most fundamental law that, that there is the shock and really grasping like, what, what does that feel like, you know? Um, and people, I think often kind of, it takes a little while <laughs> to get this. And this is why I'm so like passionate about sharing the stories, because I think when you hear the stories, you can, you can really like put yourself in another person's shoes and be like, oh yeah, like I kind of know that feeling. It's often not these like big capital T traumas that we have in our life. It's often smaller kind of trifling, petty experiences that actually can create, um, you know, cr chronic um, tissue adaptations. So does that make sense for the first biological mm -hmm. laws or anything you want to clarify? It's sometimes challenging, you know, when you're so deep in the world to like make it simple it's um I find that really really interesting actually on like the big traumas mm -hmm. versus little traumas because yeah. it's something that we went into with um Melissa as well because um yeah. yeah just thinking about you know I mean we took it back to our children and like symptoms that yeah. they're experiencing and how they can have something so chronic and huge from something as small as yeah Saying no one time. Yeah, saying no to a cookie one time. And yeah. and then, you know, but then you you see kids that go through some really hectic trauma, like big traumas. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's almost like almost because it is such a big thing, your body like I mean, obviously that can come with a range of different, you know, disassociations or whatever, but it's almost like you see this pattern of because it's such a big thing, they kind of know, okay, that's not going to happen again. <laughs> or because it's so big, it's well, acceptable to have a reaction to it that's yes. fair or like yeah. something really big happened. Oh, poor you. Like let's talk about it. Let's go through this together. Wherever it's just like you said no and then end of story, they have to be like, oh, I can't that. get past that. Like I don't know if that's. Yeah. yeah. Hey, that, that's that's kind of how like you know, this is just my, my personal conclusion of like really pondering this, like, why does it tend to just be like dumb everyday shit that causes like, you know, big chronic symptoms and not the huge traumas in our life. And I do think it's because these kind of often like the, these small moments where we have like this, this immediate response, right. The, the, you have a shock, like the, the immediate emotion response kind of psychological experience is often our most unflattering, <laughs> unevolved, unspiritual, like not very personal development -y. You know, it doesn't reflect like our most 
like ideal selves. Oftentimes, <laughs> these are kind of like our tender things are like things that we're still working through. They're crunchy. And so I think that because, you know, I, for, for adults, what I notice a lot in myself and now, you know, working with lots of other people, it's when we have big things happen, there's a sense of like, yeah, it's, it's okay to feel the way that I feel about it. And I, and I talk about it and I do end up kind of processing it. I do have this understanding of like, this happens to lots of other people. Now, when I'm, you know, scrolling on Instagram and I see something and I have this, I, that I'm, have, you know, matches the, all the criteria of a conflict shock, but, and my feeling is like of jealousy. Now, do I want to tell anybody that? No, <laughs> I don't want to tell, I don't want anyone to know that. I don't want anyone to know that like, I'm, you know, so lowly that I would have like a jealous feeling in response to another woman, you know, like that's not the kind, you know, I, I don't want to like tell my best friends about that. I mean, now that I know Gina, I mean, I talk about everything because I, I understand kind of the importance of that, but I hope you're kind of getting, yeah. getting what I'm saying yeah. here is it's like, because these petty things, we feel unjustified in feeling, I think. And so oftentimes that's why it goes unexpressed because we just feel like, like the, it, this goes in opposition to my identity, you know, like, for example, like, you know, self-development, I kind of think about it as like, we all have um, kind of our like conflict constitution, just like, it's like the way we're sort of more oriented to. So my husband, you know, he's very separation conflict oriented, like he, a rash, like that's going to be eczema is like his, his symptom. Whereas for me, it's self-devaluation. And, um, and it's always interesting how Oftentimes our identity keep us from seeing um, our conflicts, right? Because I am a very confident person on in many, many ways, right? And I'm like known on the internet as being like the woman who doesn't give a fuck and will like say anything. And, you know, my, my tag used to be like the dangerous woman. And then here I am with all these like chronic self-evaluation symptoms, right? And so I like your symptoms always kind of really humble you is what I see often. And because being insecure is like so in opposition to who I think I am, who I want to be, how I want to be seen by others, like it's not okay for me to feel those moments of of insecurity and self-devaluation. And so they get suppressed and they don't get shared. And I experience them in isolation. Um, And so I think that's, is that kind of making sense? Like it's often these small things just because we don't, we don't want to share about them. We don't want other people to know about like the, the weird, you know, things that are going on in our head. How can we like resolve them though without getting a microphone and be like, friends, sit down. I'm going to dump all of my petty insecurities on you right now. Dude, Even though so I do funny. that to her. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> but this is so funny because like, okay, so I used to be someone who hated compliments. Like I could, I could never receive a compliment. And mm-hmm. I reckon like, I look, I can't actually link this to any GNM stuff, but like, <laughs> let's try it. Let's try and but get like, your first yeah, link yeah. and you can really all believe right. it now. <laughs> but I used to be really, really bad at receiving compliments. Like if someone gave me a compliment, mm-hmm. I would like de- deflect it straight away or like put it back on them and just like try and judge them up more or whatever. Um, and I learned this just recently about myself that I'm like really bad at receiving in general, like compliments, help, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, and I, I, when I realized that I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to stop doing that. And I've got an example from like your message the other night. Um, Chloe had met someone that I'd met ages ago and she's like, oh my God. And the way you came up in the conversation, she was just like raving about your parenting. And I was like, you know what? 
I have a big head right now because I'm feeling really good about myself. I can just change it in my head and start like, okay. And just like voice how I'm feeling. I'm like, great. You are boosting my ego right now. I'm going to sleep really well. Thank you so much. (laughs) And it's like it at once you do voice those things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've always, I, I don't know why, but I have always been able to voice when like, like if someone is really good looking and I'm like, I'm feeling super insecure being around that person right now or like I, I will always just bit of an open book like that. But um, maybe that's why you're a book of beautiful health with no symptoms because you know. <laughs> Could you imagine? That would be nice. Um, yeah, but I, can, I could see how closing yourself off to, you know, when you yeah. feel something like that and not being able to just voice it and like and once you do people – most of the time no one really gives a shit or they'll just laugh at you but like (laughs) but when you I could see how like when you hold that in like that could create like tension within your body and how that would then you know translate to a physical like adaptation or symptom yeah so Mm -hmm. no that's a it's a good um good thing to think about Mm. what's the second (laughs) biological law Okay, so the second biological law is the law of two phases. So basically, this is like the yin-yang of biology. So when we have this shocking moment, the the fire alarm goes off, the boy you love is making out with another girl, (laughs) you know, whatever it is, um, there's there's this problem. You, You become conflict active. Okay, so normally we're in this like day, night, day night rhythm and so in the day we're what we call like sympathicatonic in germany medicine i just think of it as like coffee like you're awake <laughs> you know you're you're you have less appetite you're just like it's daytime and then at nighttime you're what we call vagatonic i think of it as like chamomile tea you know like you're chilling you're resting um you're sleeping so this would be like kind of our homeostasis but when we become conflict active from that moment of shock, we become like, we kind of jump up into this hyper sympathic, uh, tonic state. And the, de- the intensity of that is determined by the intensity of the conflict, right. That we just experienced. Now, some things are really small and some things are really big and that's going to dictate like the level of tissue adaptation, but we become conflict active. So, um, at the level of the psyche, when we're conflict active, we are ruminating, we are obsessing, we're fixating, we are just like churning over this, this issue. Um, because, because we need to solve it, right? Our, our psyche is like, you have to just keep focusing on this. Like this is part of the biological adaptation because our body, like the point is not to be in these special biological program for months or for years, you know, and that's kind of how we end up in this kind of state of health we have today. Um, the point is to get out of it as quickly as possible. Um, and so part of the adaptation is this at, at this, at the level of the psyche, this, this um, worry, you know, this is when you wake up at three in the morning, that serves a biological purpose because you're, gives you more time to think and to find a solution. So that's happening the psyche at the level of the brain. You're going to see if there was a brain scan, you know, you would see what's called a homeward focus, this brain lesion in a very specific part of the brain. So the whole brain has been mapped out by Dr. Homer and he would be able to see by the location of the, um, the homeward focus, the brain lesion, 
you know, which brain relay is it in? And that would dictate what's happening at the tissue level. So at the tissue level, it depends which special biological program, and it could be, you know, multiple depending on what happened, um, has been triggered. There's going to be different types of tissue adaptation. So primarily there's either tissue um, growth or tissue loss in the conflict active phase. So let's say in the case of um, a, an indigestible morsel program in the stomach, let's say, so something, you know, you just couldn't stomach um, this morsel. Again, this is like language that takes a time, time to wrap your head around because you have to start learning how to think biologically. So a morsel, you know, previously, you know, before we're like kind of our modern humans, you know, this is, this is food, air, water, uh, sperm, you know, it's like, it's like the basic things that come in or, and go out of your body. Um, that would be a morsel. Now today we have, it's, it's much more like symbolic. So money is a very, very common morsel of people that they want, <laughs> you know, and that they have issues around and they can trigger symptoms. Um, it can be a relationship that you want, an idea that you just can't take, um, an accusation, so many, so many things. Um, but let's say you're, this, the stomach program is triggered, there's going to be tissue proliferation in the conflict active phase. So there's going to be like super powered function of the stomach so that it can break down this morsel that it can't digest. Um, whereas with the, let's say the self-devaluation program that we've already been discussing of the bone or the muscle or the lymph in the conflict active phase, there is actually tissue loss. It's actually breaking down the bone or the muscle tissue. Um, and so, you know, this is a, a bigger map and eventually it just kind of all becomes memorized, you know, but in the beginning, you have to sort of, you know, pay attention well, with each symptom, what's happening in the conflict active phase. So conflict active, and then there's a moment of resolution, hopefully, not always, sometimes, you know, you can live in the conflict active phase with a specific uh, biological program for your whole life and never find a resolution. But ideally, you know, you find a resolution, your husband makes sure that the fire alarm is fine, there's nothing in the air that's wrong, and you go to bed. And so the, that stone has dropped from your soul, that issue is over, oh, you've that the looping rumination has stopped, and you feel this sense of peace, this sense of relief, the sense of just calm, like everything is good. And so you have resolution. So we drop, we were in kind of a hyper uh, sympathic atonic state. And now we have to, in order to come back to homeostasis, like this, the yin yang, right? We have to kind of balance out. So now we go into this hyper vagotonic state. And this is where most, not all, but like most symptoms are occurring especially like all kind of cold and flu symptoms, these are all happening from the moment of resolution onwards because there was this tissue growth or tissue loss in the conflict active phase. And we now have to return to normal and there has to be a process to bring us back to normal. Mm -hmm. And so this is where, um, you know, there's tissue decomposition if there was tissue growth in the conflict active phase or there's tissue regeneration if there was tissue loss. So in the case of the muscle program, 
Sorry, do you have a question? No, I, I was just going to say that's probably one of yep. my favorite parts of GNM. Just thinking that like the symptoms that you're experiencing are actually the healing process. The healing process. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's such a um, it's it's a beautiful way to look at it because especially because symptoms can be quite scary sometimes. So it's nice yeah. to think of it. Well, and to be and to be really clear, like you know, it's it's a beautiful way to look at it, and it's. But it's also like, it's just the way it is, right? Like it's, it's not, I think some people kind of, and when they first find GNM, it's like, oh, it's so cute. Like, wouldn't that be lovely? It sounds so sweet and so lovely. <laughs> and like, but it's, we, we actually live, like we do live in this astonishingly, like intelligently, like b- benevolent <laughs> world. Like our bodies are always working for us, always. Every symptom has a purpose and um, a meaning. And it there is, you know, such meaning to the, ex- why did you get a cold exactly when you did? And why did, you know, why did you get the specific symptoms you did? And maybe your daughter got a slight variation of the symptoms and she got it two days later or something like that. Um, mm, there's we should like quickly use what's happening if meaning. you feel like it with your, the last like. I, know, I feel like it could be a little complicated. <laughs> no, I feel mm-hmm. like. It's very relatable though because this ha- happens so often in families where there's kids. Yeah, but it hasn't. Okay, so this hasn't actually happened before. It's happened to me before. Oh, really? Yeah, it's happened to me. Okay, so usually when my kids, I'm a very like like grounded thinker. So, you know, I'm like, okay, we've got a virus. There's a foreign body. Like if we go through um, like a gastro bug, which generally runs yeah. through the schools, um, we'll get it. Everyone kind of gets it at a different stage, mm-hmm. like one after the other. So we've got a good long mm-hmm. period of being up and awake. Um, mm-hmm. But this this has happened and um, before we are on air, me and Chloe were talking about this. My One of my kids has been throwing up just once every night or every second night for the last two yeah. weeks. And Chloe's like, oh, when, yeah. when did – so when did that start? And I'm like, I don't actually – Oh, like I, I think it was just after we had floods that oh, not floods, sorry, fires that came quite close to the house. We were actually on a bit of a hyper alert for about twenty four hours there, and mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it was after the fires, like okay, yeah, that I think is when we kind of started seeing symptoms occurring. So two of my kids have been experiencing them. One has been yeah, just this random vomiting because there is a gastro bug going around um, through the schools. I'm like, okay, so there's something something there, but it, it's not presenting mm-hmm. like a gastro bug. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's just this really random, like he's eating during the day, he's fine, and then at night one puke and then goes mm-hmm. back to bed. And now yeah. just recently he started complaining of stomach pain and now he's got the runs as well. So, and now mm. we're actually seeing him lose weight and that kind of thing. So I'm like, oh my God, what is but this? But also place? Poet had it too, didn't she? Well, she. And you had she, it sporadically. Well, but all different symptoms. So then. <laughs> but the my, thing that was yeah. striking me is like, it's been on Sundays. So <laughs> that was just Poet. Yeah. So right. just Poet like has been to like the last three Sundays. She'll wake mm-hmm. up and puke and that's it. Um, and then mm-hmm. for me, it was last Tuesday night, but I had like 
a migraine and fevers and chills. No one else has had that. And I was up all night. This is the part. And then I was puking. This is the part and where then I, I had like days like, of like, <laughs> I thought it was COVID. It I'm makes like, oh, no feels. sense. The only thing that makes sense is the possibility of yeah. like GM. <laughs> like what is happening for each individual because if it's gastro, technically it does, it's, but it's if you believe in gastro pre- presenting it should have you all should have been like head in the bowl together mm. or one after the other because yeah. that's or who allegedly like. what happens but that's not what happens but we call it gastro and we don't give it any more thought well that's the thing it's yeah. not gastro is it no because it's just like we've never what's happening that. freya <laughs> freya can you can you enlighten yeah. me yeah okay well i mean there's a lot like so much to break apart there. Mm. So one is, you know, from this perspective of the five biological laws, like we have a very different understanding of like contagion, right? And Mm. getting something and something being passed around. Um, So basically we don't believe in that, (laughs) you know, in in short. And I think this is like the perfect scenario of that not being the case uh because I've got four kids, like there's six people living under this roof and only three of us have been affected. And we share towels, everyone baths together. We're sleeping in the same beds. We're sharing foods and cups and whatever. Like it's, you know, so a contagion part of it is. That's an anecdotal experience for me to really blow it up. (laughs) But I was just saying that this, that's enough anecdotal evidence for me to be like the contagion. Yeah. It's gone. It's gone. Well, and we have Fear to really gone. like you just start asking very different questions when you know this information. So, you know, even when we are talking about where the whole family has the same symptoms or, you know, a whole class at school gets, you know, quote unquote sick. Instead of it just immediately, oh, there's a bug going around, you know, it's well, what? shared psychological experience happened you know like families experiencing together classes experiencing together and there's always typically you know one two people who don't get the thing and they're the one who's just chill and they don't really care so they didn't get wrapped into whatever drama happened um and so there's just like so much to to uh get into in these cases of like shared um symptoms, you know, we can talk about COVID, but it's great, you know, such a great uh, example of that. But okay, in the, in this case that you're talking about with your son, correct? Yeah, okay. So um, when it comes to vomiting, there's two different um, special biological programs. So there's uh, the small curvature of the stomach, which is um, territorial anger. And so that is just like nausea vomiting. And then um, if there is diarrhea and vomiting happening together, my understanding is it's likely an indigestible morsel that's uh, that's in resolution. And in this case includes vomiting. Um, and so we're always looking for like two beats in Germany medicine. So you're looking for what was your son's conflict? So what was the specific moment in time that it caught him off guard? and, you know, emotionally isolated. And then what was the resolution? So the first night that he vomited, what happened, right? What happened that day that was a resolution for him? Because that's a, that's a resolution symptom. So something had to happen that brought peace for him, that he just let it go. He dropped it. It was a conversation. It was, 
Um, it can be something oh my God, so what is subtle. God. What is it? Oh no. Dad came home. Oh. Oh, Suddenly Kashia believes in GNM. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. He just hit something. Um, no, because my husband mm. works away a lot and this is my, like, okay. and this is my child who like, like that, it's a big deal mm. for him every time dad goes mm. away and he's always counting yeah. down the nights when dad gets home. And mm. um, mm-hmm. when, and you know, when the fires happened, he was really freaking out. He was my one kid that was really nervous and stressing yeah. about it. Um, and then, and yeah, we're all trying to like calm him down a little bit. And yeah, mm-hmm. the night that he started vomiting was actually the night that dad got home. So yeah. That's so that um, makes perfect sense. And I think that can be a bit confusing because people always, well, nothing was happening when I just got my cold. And yes, because you're only getting the cold or you're only getting the fever, flu or you're only starting vomiting because a resolution has happened. Mm. And so by that point, you've forgotten what, you've forgotten the thing that you were like obsessively worrying about, <laughs> you know, two days prior. You're in the state of peace and everything's fine and da-da-da, you know? Mm. And that's when the symptom comes. So we're looking for those two beats. So if that was the resolution, if it, the the kind of idea here is the conflict shock was uh, these fires that happened. um, And so then he would, so now he's vomiting. Now, if it's continuing and it's kind of becoming this chronic thing. And it sounds so it's every night he's just like one or vomit. every or every second. Like it hasn't been happening every night. They's had it maybe two mm-hmm. nights in a row. It was like every second night for a bit. Or it, okay. he had like the first the first night and then he had like three or four nights, nothing. And then it's been like a yeah. continuous thing. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. hard because I've had so, so many kids doing things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well and it's and it's it's challenging like you know, cause you really have to start paying attention and it, oftentimes it's helpful to keep it, things written down and, and kind of track that way. Hmm. Um, but w- what I will say before getting a little bit further, like, I, I mean, I don't have children yet, but I do work with mothers. Um, and so I've, you know, have talked about this and helped a lot of women, but, and I just, I, I'm so excited to have kids for like, well, I mean, for so many reasons, but for this one too, because, you know, when you learn German new medicine, it's such a profound insight into your children because every single symptom is, you know, revealing a specific nuanced psychological experience. And you can really start to learn, you know, what moments impacted your child and in what way, right? Like some children are very, um, you know, they're always having chronic ear infections, whereas others are always having digestive issues and others are always having sinus issues. And like, why is that? It's because they have different psyches. So they're, they're, they're perceiving the world, experiencing the world in, different ways than your other child or the other kid at school or whatever. Um, and so it's just this like beautiful way where if you're really adept with it, it's, it's like a little, it's like a mind reading tool, you know, like you start to really, Oh my God, that's how my kid saw that thing. Like that makes so much sense. Um, so it's just, it's just a fascinating way to relate to your child and also for them to experience their bodies. Right. Because even in, if you're in like the regular alternative health scene, it's like, okay, well now it's time to get out the tinctures and it's time to do the homeopathy. And like, you know, you're, something's wrong here and we need to fix it from this, this lens. It's wow. Like what happened? Your body is so wise. Your body is so smart. Like what, what just happened before you vomited, you know, and like why, like, it's just a very different conversation and it's like seeding this like real deep trust in themselves and their body. And it's also an opportunity for a child to really learn about themselves. Hmm. Um, 
so anyway, so with, with kind of a recurring symptom like this, so this is um, what would be called a hanging healing. So this is like one of the ways a symptom can become chronic. So something happens when, when the, that initial conflict shock happens, the, the subconscious basically takes like a screenshot of what occurs in that moment. So it's recording the people, it's recording what's in the air, it's the, the food that was in the mouth or like recently digested. Um, it's also recording the emotional, like the, the, the felt experience in the body, uh, the, the thought pattern, um, like everything, like whatever is important to that specific person is like kind of getting recorded in the snapshot, that specific moment in time. And that's being stored. And so now when that person, so let's say your son has his resolution, his father comes home, he just feels like protected. He feels that peace. He feels that safety of his dad coming home. That really means something to him. And so he can finally like let go of this thing that he's been turning on. Resolution, he vomits. But then he can, he can step on a track. That's what we call it in Germany medicine. Essentially, a track is like an allergy, except for the pool of potential allergens um, includes everything. It's not just these like physical things like pollen or milk. It can also be these like emotional experiences. It can be your mom. It can be your dad. It can be the thought of your dad leaving again. Like it can be just, you know, any number of things. So like for me, stepping on the track with my, with my phone devaluation is like, I'm at the cafe and I'm standing in line. And then all of a sudden I like have this flash thought of like, that woman's totally judging me for like be answering my messages on my phone right now. I started to step on the track later that, you know, half an hour later when I'm at home working again, and I completely forget about that moment, I've stepped off the track, my wrist is going to start hurting again. Mm. And so with your son, what's happening is that he initially vomited, but now that 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 initial um, conflict, it's still alive for him. And it's kind of like he's like ripping the scab off. Mm. He's still um, concerned about that. There, he still believes potentially it could happen again. You know, is it specifically that he's worrying about your dad, uh, his father leaving or or the fire where, you know, we'd have to really delve into it. You know, what is it for him? But there's something mm -hmm. that um, is like being chronically re-triggered, which is why he's, you know, one day he'll have, he'll vomit, the next he won't, then he'll vomit again. And then he won't for three days. Like there is, it's not random. It seems random, but it's not random. Mm -hmm. There is like very precise meaning as to why he vomits when he does. And why he doesn't on the other days, you know. So if you were trying um, to help your child resolve a conflict, yeah. so there was no hanging healing, yeah, would it just be like as simple as having a quiet moment with them and having a chat and trying to get them to be like, yes, this is the thing, or like, or just being like, hey, I know it must be tough for you when dad goes, or it must have been really scary for you when you thought there was a fire, or like, um, it must be like busy, feel busier or feel more chaotic or hectic or louder or when mm -hmm. dad's not here and it's just me and I'm trying to, you know, mm -hmm. do the best I can to keep you all alive. Mm -hmm. Like is that, um, would that be how we would facilitate helping our kids in those times? Yeah, I mean I think it, there is like with everything in GM, there's no cookie cutter answer because it's mm. unique to each child's 
Hmm. psyche and like you know as a mother you're the best healer because you know your children the best like you know um their kind of the the uniqueness of their of their personality and their psyche um so it is not like you know a blanket answer first of all you know you'd really want to um you know correctly identify what was the conflict what was the resolution and you you know, I think most often you can, um, mothers can like, they remember, you know, all these little things and, and, uh, can know, but sometimes your kid goes to school, like, you're like, well, what happened? Right. And that's where it's like, I, I don't think it also just depends on like, where is the family culture in terms of health? Right. It's all of a sudden you're just like dropping GNM and the kid's like, I have, what the fuck? I don't know what any of this means. I don't know what you're talking to me about. Or is it like the kid has grown up immersed in this and like, they, they know themselves, oh, mom, I, I must, like, what indigestible morsel did I just resolve it, you know, because they're so in that world, and they don't, they don't perceive that you catch anything, right, there, there are children that I, that I, you know, know, like, that's, that's the world they live, like, they, mm. the idea of, like, catching a thing doesn't occur to them, right, because they, they grew up in GNM, um, but, um, yeah, so we'd want to know, first of all, you know, was it a territorial anger, uh, with your son, or was it an indigestible morsel? So territorial anger, it's some kind of, you know, dispute, argument, like some kind of beef in the territory, you know, like, or he wants to, like, he's kind of taking on that kind of aggressive uh, feeling. So was there something where there was like a tension between the two of you? <laughs> he's always aggressive. <laughs> that would be really hard well, that to nail sense, down. Also, he's, 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 a, he's a boy, right? So he has, <laughs> he has male perception. So mm. that's healthy for him to like, to be seeing the world that way. Mm. Um, or, or was it this indigestible morsel of like something he just, he just couldn't stomach about it. It was like too much to take. Um, he can't digest the situation. And then, you know, his father came home. That was the resolution. So figuring out the specifics in his story. Um, and then, there's kind of, there's, there's two avenues broadly of, of resolution. One is practical, right? So, I mean, I'm still like, I don't you know, know for sure. So there were fires, your house was on fire? Oh no, or, no, like, no. There were fires in the area. Yeah. Just bushfires that okay. got really close. Okay. And we were like, okay. like to the point, I mean, they weren't, it was kind of like a hit, hit and miss situation. Cause if the, okay if they kind of jumped this um, river, we would have had to evacuate. But um, yeah, yeah, they, the wind was blowing it this way. So we were covered in Mm -hmm. smoke. Like you couldn't really see out the windows and stuff. Mm. Okay. So, you know, if that's the conflict and even that it's like, well, what is it? The fires that he's upset about? Is it that he wouldn't be able to take his stuff? Is it that his dad isn't there? Is it, what you said to him, like, even within this whole, what we're, we've narrowed in of maybe it's this fire, but what for him actually was it within that? Mm. What specifically was it that, that caught him off guard that he felt emotionally isolated in? Um, so you'd have to kind of figure out that nuance. And then is there a practical resolution? That is the easiest, right? Like, okay, he wants to, you know, to know that he can bring this thing if you guys evacuate. He wants to be able to know that he could phone his dad or, you know, he just needs to know there's a plan of like all our stuff's in this bag and we're going to go here. And he just really wants to be talked through of like what the plan would be if it were to happen. Um, Or, um, you know, then the other kind of avenue is this like perceptual shift, which I think is more challenging with children but I don't think it's like 
I don't think that's ever impossible. And that more, that is more of the like talking it out and um, helping him, um, you know, express what went unexpressed in that moment. Like, why did he feel emotionally isolated? Like, why was there was something that he felt like he couldn't say to you or get out in that moment? Um, and then, you know, figuring out specifically what the track is um, and just helping him like come up with a solution for himself, right? And experience mm. his own resourcefulness, his own strength, his own ability to you know, like feel safe, feel strong, uh, feel capable of like digesting the the experience. Does that make sense? Like there, mm. there's just like so many, yeah. you have to like yeah, kind of yeah. a, a bigger conversation about it to get in depth, but broadly, um, and there's other things to do when like a child is like pre-verbal and all of this, but and and I'll, honestly, one other note that I feel like I always try and kind of touch on with parents, like at one level, you know, the point here is to address like the specific symptom, right? And to understand it and resolve it and move on from it. But at the other level, like the, at the meta level, like it's to see this new reality for them, right? It's to remind your child, like, you're so smart. Your body is so smart. Like everything's okay. You're safe. There's nothing wrong here. This is not a mistake. Something very intelligent and wise is going on. And with our curiosity, we're going to figure it out and we're going to work together. And like, isn't this so interesting? And like, you know, it's just, it's really like laying this whole other relationship to the body where symptoms are not a problem. They're not mm. something that like need to be fixed. They're not shameful. He's not mm. broken. Um, and that like, that is the biggest gift, right? Like, yes, you want to solve the individual thing, but ultimately the thing that will change the course of his life, you know, 30, 40, 50 years down the road won't be that like he figured out how to stop vomiting in that one moment, but it will be like the whole kind of like, mm, you know, trust in your body and orientation yeah. to like, wow, like every symptom has a meaning and I can learn so much about myself and like evolve in this like very profound way so that let's say 60 years from now, he has a big shock and he, you know, something quite major happens. It's no big deal for him. Like he's so rooted in GNM. He's so like dialed into the five biological laws. Like he understands, he finds his conflict, he finds the resolution, like it's no big deal, you know? So it's kind of like two, two things happening at once and to, it's okay if there's a symptom happening and like almost like that, that piece and that just like, it's all good mm. is more important than like getting hyper fixated on like we have to fix this you know right does that make sense yeah Those absolutely kind of um yeah. I'd love to switch up the conversation a little bit because we're getting a little low on time um and it's something that we spoke about just before we started recording Freya which was pregnancy yeah. because we did right. put a little shout out and we won't get to everyone's questions unfortunately but um mm -hmm. a f quite a few people were asking about pregnancy and um yeah. Yes, and you let us know that it's actually <laughs> quite a, a different Huge. state of being. And yeah. yeah, it can be quite complicated. So I think we did have questions about high premises um, yeah. and uh, morning sickness in general and then also gestational diabetes. So, I mean, if you want to give us like your brief understanding of I mean, yeah. the state of pregnancy and then... We'll have another two-hour conversation another day about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> in GNM, 
the whole map is based around like four different tissue types that originated from like four different moments of evolution. So the um, ectoderm is the most uh, like recently developed tissue, the cerebral cortex, the most like recently evolved part of the brain. And um, at this fourth stage of evolution, prior to that, we were kind of like more individual organisms. And then uh, we like at this fourth stage, social units developed and these social re relationships and being interdependent, like that that became a core part of survival. Like we don't survive on our own, right? We need other people. And so there's also um, like this kind of differentiation and, and uh, division of tasks at this point in time. And so here also previously, all these other tissue types, um, these other stages of evolution, the conflicts associated with them, they are not um, dependent on one's biological sex at all, right? Like you can experience a self-evaluation conflict and so can a man. There's like no um, difference. Now there might be some self-evaluations that women are just more prone to like culturally than, than men, but otherwise, you know, self-evaluation is a self-evaluation. But when we get to the cerebral cortex, um, one, what we call one's hormonal status starts to really matter. So we are all either biologically female or biologically male, and that is unchangeable. <laughs> that is our Fact. biological sex. I've spent much, many time <laughs> on the internet uh, articulating oh. that. So we all know this is biological reality. You're either male or you're female. Thank you for clarifying but, that. <laughs> <laughs> but over our life, uh, something interesting is that we can be and this language is like triggering to people. Okay. And I, and I get it. And it was like kind of confronting for me for a while in the beginning, but it does really make sense the deeper that you get into this body of work. So we're, even if we are biologically female, we can either be hormonally male or hormonally female. So um, several things can impact this, whether we are hormonally male or hormonally female. And the reason this is important is because when we get to the cerebral cortex, there's the left side of the brain are all of the brain relays for the female perceived conflicts. So female perceived conflicts, this female perception, it's much more like kind of inner focus, like the, the internal territory, the sexual territory, the reproductive territory, you know, it's like, who am I? You know, where do I belong? And it's um, the kind of immediate impulse is to is to flee, right? It's the flight because we need to take our children and, and, and go protect them. Whereas the, and so on this side, the conflicts that we're looking at, uh, we've got scare fright. So this is uh, the larynx, laryngitis, this like scary moment. Um, we have the sexual conflicts, which would affect the, um, the cervix. We have the rectum surface mucosa, which is an identity conflict. So this is hemorrhoids, an identity or decision conflict. Um, and then the bladder, which is a territorial marking conflict. And the right side of the brain um, is where we have the brain relays for the male perceived territorial conflicts. So male perception is like, you know, it's the external boundaries. It's, um, it's more aggression, right? It's more the fight kind of impulse. So 
um, instead of, there's kind of like an equivalent to all these conflicts. So instead of, we have got that larynx, the scarified conflict would be the female. And then the um, male perceived sort of equivalent of that would be the bronchi, which is a territorial, a, a fear in the territory, okay? And then we've got the, um, the territorial anger that we were already talking about, that inner curvature of the stomach. Um, we've got the coronary uh, program of the territorial loss and then the kind of male marking conflict. And so this all matters for pregnancy because so there are different moments in our life. And, you know, this is, a, this is a very big conversation. So I'm giving you like major Coles notes right now. <laughs> but interestingly, when we are pregnant, women actually become hormonally male. And this means that we switch into male perception. Now, this really makes sense. The way that I think about this is like, we have this kind of archetype of like the mother bear, right? And that the mother bear is like, the most, you know, stereotypical mother, this idealized mother who's going to protect her children. Um, but a mother bear, you know, she is um, hormonally male and she needs to be because, and people may or may not know this, but like the male bear who might be the father of her cubs will potentially eat her, her cubs. You know, the male bear wants to reproduce again and doesn't want with a male cub. And so she has to become territorial. She needs to, you know, really protect her, her newborn and kind of have this more like ability to fight and like awareness of the external boundaries of her territory and, and this. So um, that's how, it, you know, it really makes sense to me that when women are pregnant and when they are um, like around the clock breastfeeding, so before they start ovulating again, they're territorially, uh, um, sorry, they are hormonally male. So they have a male perceived conflict. So the reason that this matters is because the, um, when people are, when women are trying to figure out like, okay, I have morning sickness, like what, what's going on? Um, you have to understand both laterality, which we haven't touched on yet, which is handedness. Once handedness really impacts, um, uh, kind of which order of conflicts you're going to experience. And then, um, with this tissue type, also your hormonal status impacts it as well. But maybe just kind of more broadly, what I'll say is like anytime that there are different symptoms experienced, right? Some women experience morning sickness and some women don't, right? Some have pelvic girdle pain and some don't. And, so, and, you know, and there are days when you vomit and there are days when you don't vomit and there are days when you vomit 30 times and other days where you're just a bit nauseous. And like, what is explaining this, this difference in symptoms? Mm. Well, from a GNM perspective, anytime that there is like, well, some people get it and some people don't, we are looking at the psychological experience of the person. And what is the shared psychological experience among those who have the symptom and those who don't. And, um, and so, yeah, all of these things that we understand to be like, pregnancy symptoms and oh it's just kind of the way it is it's like well is it the way it is or is it a biological adaptation that some women ex are experiencing and some aren't um and yeah so so that's kind of probably maybe we like leave it there and have have another yeah, conversation about it but that you can for sure you know I, I've worked with women successfully 
um, you know, around hyperemesis or um, like, you know, pelvic pain or mm. t- tailbone pain or, or whatever it is. Mm. Um, it's complex. I guess gestational diabetes yeah. would also flow into that as well. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, amazing. Well, thank Ariel. you so much. Yeah. Where can people <laughs> find you if they want to hunt you down for mm-hmm. more GNM wisdom? Yeah, it's a lot. It's it's so challenging to like distill into these small conversations because it's just such a such a vast mm. um, topic. But yeah, so I have my Instagram page is just my name, Freya Kellett. And then um, the podcast. So it's called German New Medicine Stories Podcast. And, you know, after struggling for many years to like learn this information, um, I've just to me, the clearest way to really understand how to use this in your life, like in a functional way, is through stories. And so that's the point of this podcast, um, Germany Medicine Stories podcast, is to have people on. You know, I teach a little bit, but mostly it's these to learn through stories, to hear, you know, how because you can you can go on to you know learninggnm.com and you can memorize the entire scientific chart, mm-hmm. but you have to be able to translate that for for your unique psyche, for the unique psyche of your son and figure out like, what's his morsel conflict? What is his territorial, mm. you know, anger? You know, what's his, what's your son's territory? That's a really interesting thing to consider as well. Um, and so that's where these stories come in. And um, yes, people can find me basically podcast, Instagram, website. Amazing. Thank you so much. We can't wait to chat again. Thank you so much, Freya. This has been enlightening. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.